the name of Jesus. Amen. They're pressing in on him. If you've ever been in a crowd, you know what it's like. I particularly don't like that myself. A large body of people, shoulders, elbows, hips, everybody pushing and moving as one. There's no place to go. And they're pushing him all the way up against the lake. They're not being mean. That's not their intent. They simply want to be close to the Word of God incarnate. They want to see Him. They want to touch Him. They they want to hear His Word, the Word of life poured into their very ears. They hunger for it. How about you? Jesus gets up against the lake, the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. We hear all about this from Matthew, Mark, and here today from Luke. It's been a year since Jesus had first spoken, encountered Peter. You can read about that towards the end of John chapter 1. But here he is doing what Jesus does telling people about the kingdom of God, identifying sin and providing something that the world so desperately needs and, and the sinful man in you does not want. Forgiveness, life, salvation, and ultimately, hope. There's no place to go, so Jesus sees a couple of boats. One boat belongs to Peter and Andrew, the other belongs to Simon and his partners, James and John. That has been their vocation for who knows how long, probably since the time they were knee-high fishermen. And yet Jesus comes and changes their vocation. Much like Elisha in our text for today, Jesus cares about Not only what they will do, but Jesus has good use for them. Your Lord has good use for you as well. Perhaps not as a a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, but He has good use for you. There's no place to go. And so Jesus requests access to one of the boats. I suppose he could have commanded them to do that, but they're busy cleaning their nets. They're done fishing for the day, or the night, you might say. Cleaning all their equipment, getting ready to stock it and put it away so they can bring it out when they start again the next day. Jesus steps into the boat, and there in the boat, he sits down and continues to do what Jesus does teach, to preach. As you've traveled around, you might realize that churches are designed in a very similar fashion. They look a little bit like boats. There's a little bit of a nautical theme in our architecture, and even as you gaze up here, you still hear and see Jesus, don't you? Teaching to you preaching to you, water, 
the water of your baptism that covers you, that surrounds you. When he's done, I'm not sure what happened to the crowds. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us. Perhaps they just sat down on the shore. Perhaps they dispersed and went back to their homes and their baseball games and their vacations and whatever it is they're doing. But Jesus now turns his attention to these men. These men we know quite well. And after they're done fishing, Jesus now does something that makes absolutely no sense. He says to them, let's go fishing again. Now he's not talking about grabbing a six-pack of Budweiser, Mountain Dew, or whatever it is some of you fishermen like to have on the boat. He's not talking about going out and putting a pole in the water with the grandkids and marveling at the huge, gigantic fish that you pull out with the pictures of the little fish hanging out of the two-year-old's mouth or whatever crazy nonsense you're into. Now Jesus is talking about them going back to work, their vocation. Which means they've got to undo now all they've done. They've got to get all the nets back out. They've got to get all the equipment that they've cleaned and put away. And he doesn't command them. He asks them. He invites them. And they do so. What has your Lord invited you to do? What opportunities has he placed before you in your life that at first glance might seem like a whole lot of work? And they do. They listen to him. They unpack all the equipment, Jesus says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. At this point, Simon, who has willingly, at least it seems, followed along and been agreeable to all this, speaks up. Simon, this is Peter here, big, bold, brash Peter. You big, strong, testosterone guys can understand Peter, right? Some of you wives can as well. Huh. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. The first thing we learn here from our text today is that human reason perverts the teaching of the gospel. Let me say that again. Human reason perverts the teaching of the gospel. Meaning that the old Adam in you and human reason and all the knowledge of this world and all those things that go along with it doesn't make sense terms of the gospel, nor vice versa. We've toiled all night. There's no fish out there. We are professional fishermen. We know about this. You're a carpenter. Who wait? We also believe might be the son of God. But you see, it's only been a year. They're still wrestling with some of these things. And to be fair, some of this hasn't been revealed to them yet. Perhaps you're struggling with some matter of doctrine and teaching and be patient, study, listen, learn. There's some of you that are Peters out there, but that's okay. The Lord has good use for you. He will teach you. He will reveal these things to you. 
Peter then adds, but at your word. And the better, more literal translation here is not at your word, but in your word. Meaning, I will do what you're asking me to do in faith of you, in trust of you, in belief that you know what you're doing, even though my human reason tells me this is ridiculous. When they had done this, the text tells us they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. You see, this man Jesus, who is also God, this carpenter, earthly son, you might say, of Joseph, also has power and dominion that has been granted to him over everything. Not just the wind and the sea, but all that is in it, even the fish. He encloses a large number of fish to the point that the nets are breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, but they came, and and as they filled the boats, the boats began to sink. Can you imagine? You ever watch Greatest Catch or any of these other shows, the Alaskan fishing shows and, and, and other ones? Can you imagine that there's so much fish in some of the holds of those boats that they're at the point of sinking? Human reason cannot begin to grasp what our Lord has done, can do, and will do. And not just for the disciples, but for you. See, without a true understanding of the gospel, the teaching of repentance drives the sinner away. And we see this by the next thing that happens, because when Peter sees the boats that are full to the point of of sinking, probably more fish than he's ever seen in his life, at least in one place at one time, Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now you can play the pietist card and say, Oh, Peter, he's humbling himself here before the Lord, but I would submit to you, along with the other Martin by the name of Chemnitz, that there's something different going on here. Without a true understanding of the gospel, the teaching of repentance drives the sinner away. When the sinner beholds All the marvels and wonders of the Most High God, there is nothing for a sinner to do but to say, depart from me. I cannot stand before you, O God. I remember a few occasions when I was a young man. I remember one time at seminary there on the basketball team, we had to play Robert Morris University, and they had two legitimate seven-footers. And I was the biggest guy on the Sems team at that time. It felt a little bit like David and Goliath. And so when I first stepped on the court, I pretty much knew what was going to happen. I only got dunked on twice in that game. I knew that I was giving up size and space and that I was not going to be able to compete physically above the rim with guys like that. 
that pales in comparison to a sinner who is brought low, who is abased, whose eyes are now opened to who God truly is. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And all of them are astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus then says to Simon, Jesus continues to teach and preach, do you see? Well, we may not have Jesus walking around doing signs and wonders still today. I have no doubt that you have seen some things in your life that just completely bring you low, humiliate you, or bring you to the point of recognizing that you and I are so small in terms of the universe that God has created. Or things that have happened that have been so mind-blowing, so rock-our-world situational that we see our true sinful nature. And that as sinners, we cannot stand in the presence of God. And so a sinner says, depart from me, O Lord. I don't deserve not only what you're going to give or have given, but besides all that, I'm just not worthy. But our text doesn't end there. And thanks be to God for that. Our text, Jesus himself, is driving to a certain point. We traveled around a little bit this last week, made some college visits, went down to see the Ark Encounter, which is not actually really Noah's Ark, and I doubt it'll actually float if Kentucky ever floods. And then we went to the Creation Museum, and that was good stuff. I'll talk a little bit in Bible class, have some questions about why baptism was never mentioned, nor the word forgiveness, but we'll talk a little bit about that. The rest of it was great. But let me tell you a little bit about the rest of the trip, because as we came through Toledo, Ohio, we saw the Maumee River, uh, the, what was it, the Dirty Maumee or the whatever it was. They've been trying to get it all cleaned up. And we saw some people out there rowing. Any rowers in the congregation? You sit in a very thin boat that looks like it's going to tip over, and you have one oar or two, and you row. But it struck me as I was standing there, as we had supper there on, on the docks that one night, and was watching some of these rowers. I mean, I've seen them before. I've watched them on TV. So it wasn't like it was a whole new experience. But I started to think about the fact that they don't see where they're going. They sit backwards. Have you noticed that? Now, some of you that might have been rowers in the past or rowers now, I'm sure there's some, something to do with physics and how the oars work that explains all that. But as I got to thinking about it, it Well, it was just kind of interesting. They weren't looking at where they were going because at the back of the larger boats was somebody that was talking to them. The person that was facing forward, that was looking forward, was known as a coxswain. I always thought it was coxswain, but I'm from Kansas. What do I know? And the coxswain there gives directions, shouts out a cadence, and a coxswain also will have a hand on a, do you know? the rudder. They will steer the boat. 
The rowers are rowing, not looking where they are going, but the coxswain is shouting out directions, cadence, stroke, stroke, and all together as one, they are moving forward to achieve the goal. You might say in some sense that as you sit here in church today, you're facing backwards. You see, when you go through those doors here after the service, you will return to your normal lives. You go back to work, you might relax a little bit the rest of the day, but you go out into the world. But, but here, you face a direction that the world just doesn't understand. You face your Lord Jesus, who comes to you. You trust the direction of your life, your very future, into His capable hands. You trust Him to steer the boat for you. Trust Him to provide what you need. Just as He did with Simon and the others. Fish that they needed for their vacation, to put vocation, not vacation. To put food on the table for their families and monies in their pocket. Perhaps one last little bump of money before he calls them to a new vocation. Before he calls them to leave all that behind and no longer be full-time fishermen, but now be full-time apostles, catechumens, learners, and eventually those who would be that person at the back of the boat that would be standing and serving there in the stead of Christ giving people what they need, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, which he himself earned through his salvific work on the cross. Jesus himself cast outside the city, nailed there to the cross, treated as a common thug and criminal and they're outside of all the pomp and circumstance of Jerusalem. The holy precious Lamb of God shed His blood for you. That you may hear these words and believe. That you may know in the vocation He has given you. That He will always provide. Always. That He has taken you to a place that, that you can't even see nor comprehend nor understand. He is guiding you as you live in this life that He has sent as well the Holy Spirit to provide opportunities for works of service, for good, God-pleasing works for your neighbor. Giving you the vocations of husband and wife, mother and father, son and daughter. And through all that, He still teaches. He still comes through His church which is why it's, it's so important to understand Elijah casting his mantle over Elisha. Which is why it's so important to understand why Jesus calls these fishermen now to be the apostles, the first pastors of the church, so that you may see how your Lord is still at work here today. Forgiveness of sins, life and salvation for you. Freely given. And so Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I have good use for you. You see, God has something to say about your calling, your vocation. 
God also commands you to work in your calling, in your vocation, your job duties, your responsibilities. But most of all, and take this, would you? God promises His blessing and His help. May God grant us such a vibrant faith that we would push Jesus all the way to the edge of the lake that we would desire to learn and hear his word digested, that we would wrestle with these things, but that we would want to come here and that we would want to go forth and, and take now that joy and that enthusiasm and not just that, but, but that deep-seated, spirit-filled desire to be here in this place to invite our neighbors to speak about such things at our tables and perhaps even our workplaces that others may receive these same gifts. The Lord has good use for you. Let Him steer and guide you in this life, for there is much, much good yet to come. God grant us such faith and hope in the name of Jesus.